0: And today we look back on 2021 as the world tried to get back to where it once belonged. I am a nice guy. Are you? Finding the boys was the easy part. They didn't have a clue how to get those kids up. Well, I understand double O's have a very short life expectancy. Mutter? Cousin Macarita, you remember when we were young? I am risking my life for you. You are risking my life so you can save your prime. This is unexpected. I can't believe I'm actually having lunch with spies. <laughs> Hello, I'm Simon Morris. And as we reach the end of 2021 after what sometimes seemed like a lifetime of stops and starts, lockdowns, double vaxes and last-minute cancellations, it might be nice to see if anything good happened in year two of the zombie apocalypse. One noticeable characteristic was that Hollywood reluctantly stopped waiting for the return of the old normal. After 12 months of holding back the big blockbusters until the giant cinemas opened again, they finally gave up and released the Krakens. Diana, one day you'll become all that you dream of and more. And everything will be different. First out of the gate was the second Wonder Woman, which suffered for being not very good without even the feminist novelty of being the first movie about Diana Prince superhero. Some filmgoers welcomed it anyway for just existing, but nervous studios kept their options very much open. Ancestors, please protect her. What is your name? Soldier? Hua Jun, Commander, son of Hua Zhou. We're going to make men... Out of every single one of you. The Disney Studios were particularly risk-averse this year, sending its live-action remake of Mulan, directed by Kiwi Nicky Caro, straight to its streaming channel. It did the same rather prematurely with otherwise successful films like Marvel Comics' Black Widow prequel, with its dream team of Scarlett Johansson and Florence Pugh. I tell people my sister moved out west. You're a science teacher. Your husband, he renovates houses. You're thinking about moving, but you're gonna wait until the interest rates go down. That's not my story. This was the year when Marvel shifted gears into an ambitious and often confusing new strategy. Some titles were mainly intended for the big screen, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, the upcoming Spider-Man and Thor movies. These are mostly heavy on action, light on comic book guy exposition. Oh God. Make a good team. Meanwhile, subsidiary characters get their own spin-off TV series like WandaVision, Loki and Hawkeye, all of them with loosely connected plots exhaustively explained over many episodes. Wait, I thought Loki was killed. You picked up the Tesseract, breaking reality. I want you to help us fix it. Why me? I need your unique Loki perspective. Well, I don't think I'm alone after a snowstorm of new product this year in admitting to comic book fatigue now. The return of Loki and Black Widow has also reduced the stakes, surely. If anyone can be killed and then subsequently revived, what's the point? But an unlikely movie lured me back in temporarily. We need to find the others. I haven't seen some of them for centuries. Hi. Hello. This is what the end of the world looks like. At least we have front row seats. Those multinational demigods, the Eternals, were rather endearing, mostly thanks to the cast put together by Oscar winner Chloe Zhao, who's been having rather a good year. More of Chloe in a minute, but amidst the other blockbusters allowed out this year, some were smarter than they had any right to be. Fire up. Three. What, are you guys doing? what you guys What? You, we here to save you. You were going to save me? It was a really good plan, too. Well, I can go back inside and you can still do it. That's patronising. I'm so sorry. Harley Quinn. Bloodsport. The sequel to the terminally stupid Suicide Squad, this one's called The Suicide Squad, hung on to a talented cast and fired the untalented production, replacing most of them with James Gunn. Gunn's bright idea was to quadruple the jokes and mostly eliminate the underlying nastiness of the first film. Like so many filmmakers who know what they're doing, he makes it look easy. In fact, 2021 saved the best, or at least the biggest, for last. Bond, any thug can kill. I have to know I can trust you. Well, I understand double O's have a very short life expectancy. You're a kite dancing in a hurricane, Mr. Bond. After nearly two years of teasers and trailers, the final Daniel Craig James Bond outing came out, boasting the meaningless and forgettable title No Time to Die. And, no spoilers here, but you could be forgiven for wondering if this was the final Bond full stop, though I think that's highly unlikely. Far more risky, on paper at any rate, was the biggest movie of the year. I've been having dreams about a girl on Arrakis. I don't know what it means. Dreams make good stories. But everything important happens when we're awake. Hey you, on some muscle? I did? No. Dune was clearly intended as the first of a long series, and director Denis Villeneuve has taken an apparent long shot and made it look like a foregone conclusion. Expect to see Dune feature heavily among the technical awards at next year's Oscars. But this year's Academy Awards wasn't interested in encouraging Hollywood spectaculars. 2021 was all about diversity. What a wonderful day to be in the house of the Lord. If you're here with us for the first time, please stand. What a beautiful family. Glad you're here. The films on offer this year displayed a range like never before. One winner, Minari, was a tribute by Lee Isaac Chung to his Korean immigrant parents, while another heartland drama, Nomadland, was written and directed by Chinese-born Chloe Zhao. My husband worked at the USG mine in Empire. I was a substitute teacher. It is a tough time right now. You may want to consider early retirement. I need work. I like work. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Best director, best picture, best actress. The three Oscars gave no clue as to why Chloe Zhao should choose Marvel's Eternals as her next project, but plenty of reasons why it was so good. It was a good year for black American filmmakers, too. I tried to take that emptiness and fill it up with something. <laughs> They want to call me Mother Blues, that's all right with me. It don't hurt none. <laughs> Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Judas and the Black Messiah, the US versus Billy Holiday were all strongly represented at the Oscars, as well as multiple winner Pixar's brilliant Soul. And, of course, it was a triumphant evening for women, too. I'm a nice guy. Are you? One, two, three, four. I thought we had a connection. OK. How old am I? What are my hobbies? What's my name? Sorry, maybe that one's too hard. There was almost an embarrassment of great female-driven films, from Emerald Fennell's black comedy Promising Young Woman with Carrie Mulligan to Pieces of a Woman starring Vanessa Kirby. In fact, if there were losers on the night, they were old Hollywood men. Herman Mankiewicz, New York playwright and drama critic turned humble screenwriter, Mr. Hearst. This is a business where the buyer gets nothing for his money but a memory. What he bought still belongs to the man who sold it. That's the real magic of the movies. Thunder. Both *Mank*, the story behind Citizen Kane, and Aaron Sorkin's Trial of the Chicago 7 gained multiple nominations, but no actual wins. The one person bucking this trend was the winner of Best Actor, Sir Anthony Hopkins, in The Father. I'm not leaving my flat! I am not leaving my flat! This really is my flat. Isn't it? The father was an extraordinary piece of work from everyone and somehow it was a relief that the award went to a film and a performance picked on its own merits rather than someone representing a cause. Hopkins' devastating performance won because how could it not? Meanwhile, it was a strong year for New Zealand films and filmmakers. Mata? Macarita, You remember... When we were young, what happened to you, Mata? Cousins was not only touching, but it defied the industry pundits by boasting not one but two first-time feature directors, Ainsley Gardner and Briar Grace Smith. Mind you, women directors were not uncommon this year. It's my little girl's birthday, and I promise to her. This isn't the way to see your kids. You have done nothing for me! Nothing! Hang out there, Bunny. Things will get better. (laughs) The Justice of Bunny King and The Delightful Poppy were directed by, respectively, Gaison Thavat and Linda Nichol. And then there was Roseanne Liang's Hammer Horror, The Very Silly Shadow in the Clouds. Who the hell are you, Miss Garrett? What is she here for? Did you hear that? What the hell is that racket? There's something on the top of the plane. There's something on the goddamn time. Still, you can't argue with an ambitious director taking her career to the next level. James Ashcroft, director of The Chilling, Coming Home in the Dark, has been signed to make an international film about Bigfoot. Speaking of local boy makes good, there was very little on-screen action from our most visible director, Taika Waititi. Citizens of Midgard. The invasion has begun. The dull lives are about to come to an end. But of course, trying to produce a blockbuster like the next Thor movie, Love and Thunder, during a worldwide lockdown is clearly a time-consuming process. Most of Taika's activities this year seemed on the small screen on TV series Reservation Dogs and What We Do in the Shadows. Back home, two of our best-known directors each made a big international splash at the end of the year. A documentary just grinding to a halt. Grinding to a halt. I think it's taking off. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> the best bit of us always has been and always will be is when we're backs against the wall. All we've got is us. What do you think? Sir Peter Jackson's eight-hour epic recut of the Beatles' Let It Be documentary was greeted sceptically before it came out, but the pendulum has swung firmly the other way now. The renamed Get Back has achieved the, you'd think, impossible. Fifty years after the Fab Four broke up, it showed them in a new light. A man was made by patience and the odds against him. Or what kind of man would I be if I did not help my mother? Peter! If I did not save her. Meanwhile, Dame Jane Campion dazzled many critics with her locally shot Western, The Power of the Dog. The word Oscar appears as often in the glowing reviews as the words Benedict Cumberbatch and Toxic Masculinity. I was less impressed, preferring my westerns to make a bit more sense than evil gay rancher bullies his sister-in-law with a banjo. Fortunately, I don't get to pick the Oscars. Imagine what we could accomplish again. We can heal this whole city. You ain't tell me it was going to be like this. These ain't no terrorists. We got a rat, man. Does anybody else know about me? No one knows your identity. Are you sure? This was the year when America finally started to learn some black history, much of it set in the 1960s. Oscar winner Judas and the Black Messiah was about the rise of the Black Panthers and how they were misrepresented by the powers that be at the time. And one night in Miami reminded us that celebrity status for black singers and sports figures was no guarantee of respect. We have to be there for each other who could move mountains without lifting a finger. Overshadowed somewhat were a few smaller, less publicised films about White History. Fanny Lye delivered was set in one of the lesser-known periods of English history when the royal family was abolished and Oliver Cromwell's government was ruled by Puritan virtue. I must consider your eternal soul. <laughs> We are in pursuit of a pair of licentious heretics who did partake in profane display of a tavern less than five miles from this ground. Be careful what you wish for, in other words. There were two other British history tales in which the villains, coincidentally, were the snobs running the British Museum. The Dig starred Ray Fiennes and Carrie Mulligan, while Ammonite offered gift parts to Kate Winslet and Saoirse Ronan. I don't want to go back to the life I had before you. What about my life? Is it that I am all alone? Yet in my dreams are form my view. That thinks on me and loves me too. I had two favourite bits of old white history this year. The first took place in medieval France, director Ridley Scott's old stomping ground. The Last Duel was written by stars Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, but its trump cards were Jodie Comer, who played the wronged wife, and co-writer Nicole Holofcener, who gave us something to say. I request a duel to the death. If you lose, your wife will suffer dire consequences. One of us has lied. Let us let God decide. You do not believe me. I am risking my life for you. You are risking my life so you can save your pride. My other sentimental favourite was director Paul Greengrass's love letter to his hero, the legendary Western director John Ford. News of the World revisited Ford's masterpiece The Searchers with a more decent hero, Tom Hanks, and a clear message about the importance of real news in an era of the fake variety. Ladies and gentlemen, these are stories of men and women very much like you, waiting for better days to come. Ah, You can't have her! And I'm taking her home! The big casualties in a year of so many closed cinemas in Auckland, our biggest city, were the film festivals, particularly the New Zealand International Film Festival, once again, cursed by terrible luck, it didn't even get a chance to promote its riskier titles like The Notorious Titan. But luck did go the way of the far more commercial French Film Festival. It dodged the worst of the lockdowns this year and benefited later by re-releasing feel-good hits like Eiffel, The Godmother and Antoinette and the, the nous! A sparky heroine, some good jokes and a donkey. What more could anyone want in this miserable year? I had a similar feeling with an American film set in a Never Never Paris of the 1950s. French Exit, a gift part for the delightful Michelle Pfeiffer. What was your plan? My plan was to die before the money ran out, but I kept and keep not dying, and here I am. The hens are clucking. Are they saying I'm broke? They are. What about my apartment in Paris? It's just sitting empty. 2021 was a strong year for non-fiction too. Two stories had an unexpected common thread. One was an investigation into a recently discovered Renaissance painting and the other was an account of a brutal political assassination, The Dissident. I am addressing you as a victim. A title forced on me after the brutal murder of my Jamal. Jamal Khashoggi, prominent Saudi journalist and Washington Post columnist, has gone missing after visiting his country's consulate in Istanbul. Curiously, the villain of both pieces seems, I'm being very careful here, to be the same person. The assassination of journalist Jamal Khashoggi was worldwide news when it happened in 2018, and the dissident is clear who's most likely to have ordered it. He's a well-known art lover with a close connection with the lost Leonardo. You can stick it in the desert and lure tourists. It's not just art history, it's world politics. Everybody was complicit in dreaming up lost Leonardo da Vinci. Nobody really cares what the truth is. 240 million, 300 million, 400 million. The Lost Leonardo was a painting discovered in suspicious circumstances in New Orleans, of all places. Was it really a long-lost masterpiece by Leonardo da Vinci? Was it really worth the staggering sum it was auctioned for? And did its rich and powerful current owner have a vested interest in not asking any of these questions? But the most gripping true story this year was the rescue. How how many of you? We look into each other's faces thinking we may be the only ones that ever see them. Finding the boys was the easy part. They didn't have a clue how to get those kids out Sitting in an audience all biting their nails in unison was an electrifying experience. Even now, it seems impossible that the young Thai football team could possibly have negotiated over a kilometre of underwater caves to get to safety. Well, that's the power of a great documentary like The Rescue. There was also a run of films about popular figures of the 60s and 70s. Well, I'd like to ask you uh, what's it like down there? It's fantastic. Imagine having no weight. Imagine that this would be underwater. You would move like this, swimming in space above all your little friends. It's beautiful. TV oceanographer Jacques Cousteau was remembered, as was TV chef Julia Childs. And as well as The Beatles, another cult musical act, Sparks, got two outings. Edgar Wright's The Sparks Brothers and their own award-winning but hard-work musical, Annette. But despite the evidence, maybe 2021 wasn't entirely devoted to the past. How about we put our phones down and we can make ten seconds of unobstructed family eye contact. Starting now. See, this is good right here. This is natural. For years, Hollywood has aspired to tap into all those high tech billions in computers, iPhones, and video games. Well, this year saw a bunch of comedies aimed at those people who watch movies on their phones The Mitchells versus the Machines, Ryan Reynolds in Free Guy, and the rather alarming Ron's Gone Wrong. Where is it? Find the rogue. We don't need anyone else. I currently have one friend. That is sad and also tragic. No problem. Meanwhile, the year's multiple lockdowns manifested themselves in odd ways. Chwetel 4 and Anne Hathaway managed to make a heist film mostly shot at the height of the London lockdown. It was called Locked Down. And I'm feeling good. Carrots is the most glamorous store in the world. I know all the security guards. I know the security systems. I just need to get the gentleman's name. His name? Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar Allan Poe! Wow! And another Edgar, Edgar Wright, used the same setup to make his second film this year, The Ambitious Last Night in Soho, a film that got the very best out of Kiwi star-on-the-rise Thomasin McKenzie, the late Dame Diana Rigg and the unusually deserted streets of Soho. You witnessed the murder last night, but you believe this was a vision from the past. The guy that killed her is still like that. I have to stop him. Two genres mostly missing in action for much of the year were sci-fi and musicals, though one film attempted to blend the two. Reminiscence is a sci-fi reimagining of Casablanca in the time of global warming. Hugh Jackman and Rebecca Ferguson replace Bogart and Ingrid Bergman bonding over the song Where or When. Tell me a story. A story? What kind of story? One with a happy end such thing's a happy ending. all endings are sad, especially if the story was happy. Reminiscence even features Cliff Curtis standing in for Claude Rains. But generally, there was more than enough sci-fi in real life this year, thank you very much. In the past, terrible times encouraged us to turn to escapist fare, like the most popular musical in Broadway history, say. Well, that would be Cats. (laughs) I judge a cat by its soul. I've got plenty of soul. Hard to know why cats could be so popular on stage and so hilariously unpopular on screen. For whatever reason, despite the all-star cast, the film version was a catastrophic stinker. In the Heights, a Latino musical set in New York did better, but it was clearly a palate cleanser for the real thing. It's a story of a block that was disappearing. In a barrio called Washington Heights, the streets were made of music. Steven Spielberg's remake of West Side Story is out on Boxing Day and is likely to salvage the reputation of the traditional musical. Expect that to be as successful as the 1961 original. For me, some of the best on screen music this year was shot at almost the same time as The Beatles' Get Back in a park in Harlem in 1969. The subsequent film was called Summer of Soul. We were coming together to say this was our world and how beautiful it was. We're going to try to sing a song together. Don't wait for your neighbor because your neighbor might be waiting for you. Summer of Soul has many of the elements so popular in the cinema this year. Nostalgia, of course, but something more. Optimism, maybe a lack of cynicism from a time when the revolution will not be televised meant something rather different from now. These days, everything is being televised, of course. Now we're gonna take the Beatles, now I'll be quiet. Oh, you recording our conversation? For a what? What is it? Looking for a home to last. Looking for a blast from the past. Still, at the end of the show, it's always nice to give credit to the hardest working people in the film business. It's the annual Kate Blanchett Who's Been in Everything award for 2021. And this year, the award goes to two tireless troopers. Most seen, for sure, is actor Benedict Cumberbatch. I can't believe I'm actually having lunch with spies and <laughs> just a salesman. Exactly. Your civilians the KGB won't be watching. It would be a real service to Great Britain. What would you want me to do? Benedict has had a great year, much of it spent, I believe, in Hawke's Bay, in between shoots of The Power of the Dog. But you could also see him in lead roles in The Electrical World of Louis Wayne and Cold War drama The Courier, in cameos in The Mauritanian and several Marvel Comics films playing Doctor Strange. I'm back up. No, you're still away. The adults are talking. I'm sorry, I'm confused as to the relationship here. I mean, what what, what is he, your ward? No. I'm Peter, by the way. Doctor Strange. Oh, you're using your made up names. Um, I'm Spider-Man then. And matching him for titles, if not on-screen FaceTime, is Cumberbatch's co-winner. You know, Olivia Coleman for her serious work this year in The Father, The Crown, and at the film festival The Lost Daughter. But she's also found a way to work without needing to even get out of bed. Who's behind this? How? I gave you all boundless knowledge, and you treated me like this. Oh, oh. Poke, sweep, poke, poke, pinch. That's Olivia playing the villainous robot in The Mitchells vs. The Machines. She also appeared, if that's the right word, providing voices as a narrator in Louis Wayne, as a Russian grandmother in Ron's Gone Wrong, as a train in Thomas the Tank Engine, and inevitably in an episode of The Simpsons this year. Dad, I'd like you to meet Laura. How do you do, sir? I say, you're gorgeous. Thank you. (laughs) I must say, he's charming. (laughs) Yeah. Not always. Olivia and Benedict, take a break, you've earned it. And so, my long-suffering listeners, have you. For the next few weeks, you can check out the summer movies unhindered by my opinion. Is it any good? Pop in and see for yourself. Next week, Dan Slevin will preview the many treats coming up over the holiday period. But from me, Simon Morris, have a wonderful Christmas and I hope you'll join me same time early next year.